Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everybody and welcome to episode 2 of the Jedi Order podcast. Firstly I wanted to thank everyone who has listened, liked and subscribed after the first episode. It's greatly appreciated. And here on episode 2 it's part 2 of my chat with Alex Milas where we chat more about the Mandalorian and where we'd like to see the series go next. out of some of the legacy characters that we could possibly see in this series due to when it's set. You've got the likes of obviously Luke Skywalker, R2-D2, C-3PO, Chewbacca, Nine-Num, Admiral Akbar. These guys are rocking around. Is there anybody in particular that you would oh. like even, even maybe not a bit more than a cameo, someone that we can actually, maybe the Mando goes on a mission with or something like that? Sure, man, that's such a good question. You know, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot I'll be honest. I mean, one of my favorite things about Solo was Lando. I, I would love to kind of see him in further adventure somehow. And, and of course, you know, there is a kind of a kind of a tip of the hat to that potentially happening after um, The Last Jedi. But yeah, I, I would love to kind of see him reappear, perhaps, you know, and just mm. kind of explore more of that underworld, because I, I think that's where some really great storytelling, because you have real villains, but also really colorful antiheroes as well. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's the the whole thing is. One one of the best things that ever happens in episode four is the cantina, because yeah. it's, it's just like that kind of rogues gallery of you know what's going on here, and I, I think that's the thing. I mean, just like set beyond the very polarized setting of good guys versus bad guys, these are the ambiguous guys. They mm-hmm. could be both, and so gosh, that's that's a. I mean, well, now that you mentioned the Admiral Akbar series, I mean, so that is something that, that to me, I would love to see something in my mind. There's the kind of like that Mando gets called to meet someone in somewhere like the Cantina, and you've got Akbar and Nine Num kind of sitting shadily in the corner, and yeah. Akbar's kind of leading some missions on the side to take care of the other parts of the empire that still exist yeah team up like that akbar and mando just ah, oh, that's just hilarious yes please I mean, in so yeah. many ways <laughs> oh I'm, yeah i'm 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 so into that i mean you you could totally do a uh, a comedy series just like i mean just to to rewind a little bit it's just like the misadventures of greedo just like in the kind of like run-up because <laughs> he just kind of you know seems like he, he absolutely can't win or what if um just like who takes over for java in the aftermath of all of that just like my gosh there, there's so many possibilities i mean i don't think that chewy could carry a series but man it would be great to be able to kind of spend a little more time with his character because it, it was just it was just done so well and uh in solo again not a perfect film but a lot of really great ideas i thought so that yeah a hundred percent not a whole series but chewbacca could get could definitely be a brilliant supporting member for like a story which goes over a couple of episodes or something so something that he can come in and get involved in because automatically especially if someone like the mando understands him in the way han does you automatically get that comedic 
beat that you can follow with Chewbacca being in a in a scene, which yeah. it would just be great to see that kind of relationship with him and some other people as well, because Chewbacca probably wouldn't trust any of them, but it would be brilliant to see. But he his reaction to Baby Yoda would be something I I want to see in my life. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, absolutely. You know, and and I'll be honest, I guess it's probably too burdened with the whole series, but there is there is a big story to tell with Leia, and just kind of you know what happens and how she kind of like becomes one with the force and everything else. And, and, and so there's a lot of filling in to do, you know, and, and there's endless possibility at some level. I kind of feel like the Obi-Wan series is going to have a hell of a lot to live up to because I mean, it is a great idea, but the, the bar as far as I'm concerned has been set. Yeah. And not only that, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, the bar is already way above the heads of the Mando because the Mando, yes, is, Obviously, most of our heads go to Boba Fett, but it isn't Boba Fett. So it gives them that freedom to kind of do more. Whereas in with Obi-Wan, we kind of know his story to a certain extent. And a lot of the comics have filled some sections of that in, even the new ones. But yeah, the the pressure on the Obi-Wan series, just I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, well, like, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I always thought that Ewan McGregor was a great casting decision for, for the prequels because yeah. he kind of, he invoked some of that elegant stateliness but clearly he was younger you know a little more brash and so on and so you could kind of you could kind of see the obi-wan that was to emerge you know in mm-hmm. later years and so yeah i mean i kind of felt like that worked without going on about the, the the prequels too much i thought there was more to his story and and there is something to connect those dots between the prequels and obviously his first appearance in episode four and again if you haven't watched it, this is the second time. Um, if you watch how Star Wars was saved in the edit, yeah, it could it could have gone a lot differently. But they they turned him into an an, an enigma. If if you actually kind of consider Obi Wan's screen time, he looms very heavily over the original saga, without actually having been in a lot of it. You know, just I mean, yeah. he is just a Force ghost, but but it feels like he's always there. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Uh, and one thing, obviously. That's something that reminds me of what I would love to talk about is they say, or the rumours are, that there's going to be some epic lightsaber battles in Season 2. Now, obviously, with the announcement of Ahsoka, you can obviously see where some of that is coming from. But is there is there anything that racks your mind in terms of where you would like to see some of those kind of lightsaber battles coming from? Because personally, for me, I would love to see, which we haven't, I don't believe we've seen in live action, is something to do with maybe some Inquisitor Siths that are on, that have like tried to run away and are on, you know, are now in the areas that the Mando is operating in. And I think that would be a brilliant play if they can bring something like that in. Oh, see, that that, that's really exciting. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about the actual fencing is Star Wars has everything to do with this. So it's, it's pertinent to this discussion, but I think probably as a consequence of loving Star Wars became very fascinated by Japanese culture growing up, yeah. uh, which eventually manifested itself in my taking up Japanese fencing, um, which was very, you know, or Kendo, you know, which is very influential on the way that a lot of Jedi duel on screen, particularly in the original saga, very simple, very deliberate moves and all that kind of stuff. And so beyond who might undertake the battles, because I hadn't heard of that, but that's super exciting. You know, there's also like the the kind of question of um, what is it going to look like, you know, because one of the things about the way that 
it came about in the prequels was it, it really kind of turned more into almost like a kind of Kung Fu style kind of super fast, super ultra, like, whoa, you know, kind of thing, which is, which is great. But what I would love to see more of is more of that, the whole Rogue One thing that they did with, uh, with Chirrut, you know, Donnie Yen's character, where basically these are not Jedi, but the force is strong in them. And clearly yeah. they are able to kind of channel it without actually being Jedi. And, and that to me is something that I think is worthy of, of far more expo- exploration. Cause I would assume that people can get access to lightsabers without actually being Jedi. Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. I don't know if you, if it's the fact you have to be, but there must be uh, from some point in time, there must be loads floating around from the days of the order 66 days yeah now. So, there's there's a point where there must be a whole bunch on the black market yeah, yeah must have done the rounds for years that have ended up and passed down into different hands and multiple times yeah because because of course i mean that, that that's a big part of like a jedi's training is like building their own lightsaber right you yeah know, but uh, but i yeah i assume there must be a load of contraband just sort of floating around which is which kind of opens up all kinds of possibilities because <laughs> i guess it stands to reason that if this is in the aftermath of Return of Jedi, there is still a long time to go before Luke kind of builds his Jedi Academy. Yeah. And it all goes wrong. And so if they're saying there are going to be lots of lightsaber battles and it's happening on this timeline, look, I mean, for one thing, it's not going to be Baby Yoda doing that. So um, it's probably going to be a lot of people using lightsabers badly, which probably means a lot of limbs flying all over the place, which, <laughs> you know. That's another thing that, uh, I mean, and that's just reminded me in the, if you've read the, the new, the ones that are just the title, the Star Wars comics from 2015 onwards, I think a new series has started this year, which are just called Star Wars, which I, I think focus in between, maybe it's in between uh, New Hope and Empire, and then between Empire and Return of the Jedi. But there is like a, almost like a death squad of stormtroopers and within that death squad one of them wields a lightsaber because and he doesn't have the i don't believe he has the force but he has the sword skills in order to fight which i feel seeing something like that on live action like seeing a stormtrooper who is just a kick-ass swordsman get his hands on a lightsaber and then some something to like a stormtrooper against mando would be just just another visual thing that I feel would be amazing to see. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing about Mando is he is a an unbelievable pugilist, you know, fighter, all that kind of stuff. And there's all the gadgetry that he's like an absolute master of, which is yeah. wonderful. But I, I think that one of the greatest things about it all as well is that he is also fallible, that you get a really strong sense that, yeah, he can get his ass kicked, you yeah. know, and that, you know, um, you and know, does. <laughs> yeah. And, and yes, he does. And so that's the thing is you kind of feel like he, maybe, well, you got a pretty strong sense that in the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian is not going to die, yeah. but the fact that he can kind of suffer and all that kind of stuff opens up, you know, many more dramatic possibilities for the character because it's not just that he's always going to win. He has to, you know, kind of use his wits and all that. And, and yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I try not to give it too much away. I've, I've made mention of episode three before, but the finale is absolutely stunning. Now, um, if you play video games, you might kind of see the similarities that people have raised to um, a game called destiny on the PlayStation. But you see the other man. You're not even sure that Mando is the best Mandalorian. He's good. But some of the other guys in there and the armor in particular are absolute bruisers. 
God, wouldn't it be amazing just to kind of see the, uh, all of these people like truly in action, but who are their opponents that were capable of vanquishing them? I mean, that's, that's something that I think we can look forward to seeing. And I really hope as well that they don't commit the error of expectation, you know, by trying to be too many things to too many people. I mean, as the success of the first one, they've now created a bar that is very kind of difficult to reach. I think the key is not to reach it, just to go in new directions, to not try and repeat that success, but just try and just do something that is equally fun and inventive. And I, I'm pretty sure that they will. It's just, it's been so long that Star Wars fans, I think have been united by something. And I just don't know anyone in my circle that has a bad thing to say about it. No. And also I think it's very much to remember that with the success of this, especially with the first season, the second season, to be coming soon is like they've said before they now have the opportunity to tell more stories so that they don't feel that the mando has to become too much uh, we have to explore every region that's already been a success in there because now we can have limited spin-off series to mm-hmm. to kind of floor certain you know maybe moff gideon gets a, a limited run like a five episode just to maybe just to explain how he got the dark saber yeah no i i think that's a brilliant idea you know but i guess that's the thing i mean with disney plus you now have something that's unprecedented right you know star wars can develop at its own pace it doesn't have to be some mass marketed kind of film i mean i i don't know the ins and outs of the economics of streaming services but something tells me that Disney is not going to run out of money anytime soon, right? And so they can do all of these things, and they just give people just enough reason to keep going back to Disney Plus, right? And yeah. so um, that is a completely different marketing model from big budget films, you know, where the opening weekend sales are so essential to the successive weekends. With this, yeah, they can they can have fun. But you're right. Um, I love the idea of developing shorts just around very specific characters that kind of like fill in the scenes a little bit and, uh, and have the same production value. And, yeah. and there's a lot that's going on in the world of animated star Wars mm. um, and everything else where I can see a really kind of rich future ahead again, because it, it's all just a blank canvas now because we're beyond the hardest thing, which was to try and find a way to wind down the original trilogy, which it's a different podcast altogether. Yeah. But, um, but but now it can go anywhere. Yeah, it very much can. Is there any particular storylines that you would love to see like more extensively in season two? Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I, I think that we were um, uh, touching on just a, a few of the things before this. But yeah, I I think every every episodic series usually has one or two that where the, it goes completely off piste and it, it, it gets out of the story arc altogether and they just do one character study. Mm. I would love it if they just did one fully um, armor dedicated episode just to really get deep into what the Mandalorian's code is. Maybe forget about Mando completely or the armorer. Maybe just what is what is the initiation into their order? What is it to fail? Just track another unknown mandalorian's journey you know into doing all that maybe it's a flashback episode something to kind of tell us a little bit more because i think that without wanting them to flesh out too much it would be so cool to kind of like explore what that code is because you get the kind of sense that you know when a mandalorian takes on a bounty they are honor bound to complete the bounty and to never ask questions and do all those things that's why i guess they are the most prized bounty hunters but why is that where does it come from all all that stuff, I think, is just 
really interesting. And I think it would help us kind of understand what is driving Mando to behave in certain ways. Because it's just something that I think has fascinated everybody from the beginning, from the first appearance of Boba Fett. Okay, technically the second. Yeah. The first appearance of Boba Fett was in Star Wars Christmas special, right? Yeah. But the, the, the first proper appearance, of course, in the trilogy. Since then, people have been asking themselves, are they good or are they bad? Clearly, they seem to err a little more on the good side. But maybe we get to see the bad side as well, because clearly they are also ruthless and they are loyal only to themselves and so on. And so maybe, you know, we get to see like another side of these these warriors that that we haven't already seen. And it'd be great to something something like that to feature either the beginnings or how the Great Purge came about. And if Mando was around for that and what that did to them as people and their homeworld, because obviously we touch on it, but it would be great to kind of follow that through yeah, in a live action sense and just see what that really did to the Mandalorians and how much they lost during that time and what kind of their, you kind of, like you say, you kind of get this sense of, to a certain extent of what their mission is in kind of regaining their name only one allowed up top at any point keeping their positions and their whereabouts secret at all times but it'd be kind of great to see the story told of how that evolved from the way they live their lives to kind of the way they live their lives now yeah 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 no i i'm i'm with you there you know and and yeah what what is their home world yeah uh, it's like why are they you know kind of like feared and reviled in equal measure all that stuff i think is kind of super cool but it, it kind of speaks to something that i think is just absolutely essential in in season two is um they can't give too much away just like the characters themselves they're always kind of like obscured behind masks there's always something that is true of any stories that a closed box is always more interesting than an open one and with this i think that they you want to know more but then again they're doing you a favor by not telling you and uh, i i guess that's the balance that they'll have to yeah. strike and i have a feeling they will is there anyone you would like to see because i don't think they've released who's done all the episodes but in the director's chair man that's a really good question you know because there's so many i mean like i think i mentioned um taika watiti you know directing yeah. all the episodes i mean just like it's so obviously you know had his thumbprint on there i mean just so you got to dream big right so yeah imagine if they did i mean we talked about the cinematography but imagine the cinematography as rendered by ridley scott Right. And it is just it's just got that kind of Blade Runner Vista kind of running throughout that that sense of color and space and everything that makes everything from the duelist onwards so so just so beautiful. Gosh, you know, other other directors There's so many. I mean, I would love, even though I don't know if you remember that there was there was strong rumors that Spielberg had something to do with episode three in some in some way, shape or form. But yeah. I would I would love Spielberg to just come in and take the reins yeah. for a particular episode. Oh, wouldn't that be great? I mean, oh, wouldn't it just be just to have him and Lucas on yeah. set shooting ideas back and forth between each other? I'm totally into it. You know, yeah. So Guillermo del Toro does like a creature feature, just around just do a Jala episode, right? Maybe, gosh, can you imagine Martin Scorsese just basically just doing a cantina episode you know just where it's just a bunch of wise guys in space i mean goodfellas in space just make that 
crazy things have happened. Quentin Tarantino is still in line to do a Star Trek movie. So wouldn't it be, I mean, there's bounty hunters and it kind of, that kind of fits Quentin's Quentin's style very well. It would be great to have him come and take on an episode where there's, it's a heavy bounty hunter episode. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm fully in. Get the Coen brothers to do like a kind of like a comedy episode, you know, <laughs> just uh, about just like, you know, one of the bad, bad guys, just like not very good at it, like a Lebowski kind of take on, on that world. Um, gosh, Sam Mendes, Ed, <sighs> Too, gotcha. too many. That's why they need to make sure it goes on for at least ten seasons, so we can yeah. fit people in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, well, I mean, what if they got Christopher Nolan to do something like Ultra Dark? Yeah. You know, I mean, just yeah. I mean, I, I guess the question is, is who wouldn't want to direct an episode of Mandalorian? I mean, who wouldn't want to bring their thumbprint to Star Wars? Full stop. Yeah. No, I mean, because that's the thing what they've done with the series is clearly there can't be that many directors of the films. But with episodes, they can bring people in and just say, oh, wow, I love what he did there. And asking directors what they would want to do. I mean, can you imagine Wes Anderson doing a <laughs> doing a thing, you know, I mean, maybe it'd be a bridge too far. But, you know, I mean, they could have some fun with it, couldn't they? So that's the thing that it definitely opens up if they consider going down like the limited series route as well for certain characters certain characters that have a certain way about them where you can open you can really open the door up to certain directors coming in and telling telling their stories in the way that they shoot and just having certain characters which like have like more of a comedic effect the whole way through and having kind of all like offbeat comedy star wars and all these various things that can come into play would just be that's the thing with Disney Plus. It allow, I guess, it allows us to now have this option rather than having, like you said, the big event films that come every. Now they're, I think, we're two, three years until the next film or something. But you know, it's every two, three years anyway, isn't it? Until another big event film comes along, which has to be done in a certain way because it has to appeal to the mass audience. Yeah, but here you can really adhere to smaller audience pockets and you can really explore loads of different varieties genre specific varieties that haven't really been touched on in star wars yeah yeah like tales from the sand crawler yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> basically just the jaw was driving around the desert being dicks to people you know yeah. <laughs> and it's just like and the idea is that they're they just get less and less likable <laughs> yeah jaw was the same every episode <laughs> and you ever see um did you ever see that fan film years and years ago, Troops? It was basically based on cops. No, uh, I didn't say that. No. Oh, man. Okay, so if you look it up, so you know the kind of like the endless series cops, basically? Yeah. Um, that went, you know, for yeah, basically following cops around, watching people get arrested. I mean, it's totally compelling viewing. I mean, you feel kind of guilty watching it, but it's just someone did a version of it called Troops, and it, and it basically, it's the story of what happened to... Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just goes wrong. I don't want to give it away, but I'm sure you could find it <laughs> online. But yeah, I, I just love that kind of stuff because they kind of, they flesh things out. But, you know, maybe I'm just veering too much in the, the whole comedy thing. But I, I, I like the idea of the franchise that can kind of make fun of itself a little bit and just yeah. uh, let go. And uh, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of the original trilogy is really goofy. I mean, yeah, th th people saying that, oh, well, you know, that's just too weird or whatever else i mean okay the luke skywalker drinking milk from the teat of whatever that creature was yeah 
a bit weird. Bit weird. A bit, just a bit, a bit weird is an understatement as well. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can I come back? Can I do a whole podcast just on that? Well, just on that <laughs> scene, please, because I feel <laughs> it needs to be broken down into so many layers. Yes, indeed. Yeah, how about yourself, man? What 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 would you want to see in a spinoff? I think I would I would love to see. I don't know if it's maybe like a spinoff from the Mando, but I would love to see like something more droid focused. Yeah, I would I would love to see that. You know, you got the IG units and stuff like that. So I feel that there's a whole realm of droids that could be doing cool things at so many times. If you've got assassin droids rolling around then it would be great to see kind of a, a droid where they're the main focus and the the real person is the sidekick as, to a certain extent. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because, I mean, something that probably isn't always explored is like the status of robots in, in the world of Star Wars because there's something that's actually kind of uncomfortable about it all. Um, mm. And uh, I mentioned this to people before. It's because robots are clearly sentient beings, you know, but they're frequently treated as like appliances and property. Of course, that's not comfortable. That's kind of weird. I mean, the the way that uh, kind of like limbs get ripped off and, oh, isn't that funny and this and that, whatever else. But they're clearly, they can feel things. They can clearly regard themselves as as people kinds of people so that's something that i guess star wars can't get too deep in but i would love to see the 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 struggles and the plight of droids you know perhaps explored a little more because i mean that that's something that i guess star wars doesn't get deep enough to to really kind of grapple with the uh with the ethics of it all but just like when you kind of think about what that translates to in in our society and everything else the idea that sentient beings um kind of like you know are deserve back protection rights all those sorts of things in the world of star wars it seems that droids don't have any rights of course that is something that kind of happens with the kind of shake Guevara part of solo you know star yeah. wars story where they basically they free themselves and gosh i think i think you're onto something there i think that would be really cool there's a one-shot comic which kind of tells you the story of how c-3po got his red arm and that particular story just literally follows if I can remember rightly, it's C-3PO and just a bunch of droid friends on this mission. And I just found it so interesting because it, it's not something, like you said, it's not something that has a light shone on it a lot, even though obviously droids are such a massive part of the Star Wars universe. But I just feel there's there's something else there. Like maybe there is a world of free droids. Yeah. Oh, man. See, that, like, now, you're, now you're talking. Yeah, that are formed there. And it kind of makes me think of like a random thing like of Toy Story when you get all those weird toys that are from under Spike's bed that all have yes. different parts of other other toys to create yeah. what they are. Indeed. And it would be, I would love for like our characters to land on a world which is just overrun yeah. by droids and ruled yeah. by droids. Yeah, because I mean, clearly, because they're all fitted with like these restraining bolts, right? You know, and so yeah. basically, so the restraining bolts are basically they've been put there ever since the droid rebellion happened, right? Yeah, you know, and 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 the, yeah, they they basically they they rose up, and there was one droid that they all kind of believed in, and it's like the kind of like the tale of his kind of his struggles, you know, in servitude and everything else, and he or she inspires people to kind of yeah, I mean, see that. That would be cool. I mean, but that's that's like I, I go back and think. I'm like, so why did the Ewoks think that C3PO was a god? Were they run by a protocol droid at one point? Was there yeah. a protocol droid that oversaw their planet and took charge? <laughs> yeah, and 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 can we talk about the fact that the Ewoks were going to eat 
Han and Leia and everyone. You know, they're basically oh, yeah. these horrible little cannibals who make little instruments out of stormtrooper heads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of sinister and horrible when you really think about it. And they were never cute. I mean, they were always kind of upsetting at some level. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things that I think should probably exist. But yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that is like the the golden droid making like a an appearance again. I mean, I, you could kind of see a, a world run by droids if they weren't careful about it all, because of course, yeah. you know, they're superior and kind of fundamentally immortal because they can just kind of keep fixing themselves. And I think that could work. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to see something from the perspective of fallible characters, not superheroes, they're not exceptional, yeah. but just everyday kinds of people. I mean, I, I'm not saying make Dawson's Creek in Star Wars world, but but maybe there is there is something to be explored in the mundane as well, you know, just like the day-to-day, you know, existence, you know, and, and obviously something extraordinary has to happen to make it interesting, otherwise it's just a soap opera. Like the but, Death Star Canteen. <laughs> I'm totally into the I'm totally into the Death Star Canteen. Have you you've seen the Eddie Izzard sketch? Uh no. No. So okay, so there's this Eddie Izzard did a sketch years ago, probably in the '90s, and someone has geniusly taken the audio of that sketch and then created a Lego Star Wars around the sketch. Wow! And the whole sketch is based on Darth Vader trying to order lunch at the Death Star canteen, <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying to order the the penne arrabbiata, <laughs> and he's like he's having trouble ordering it because there aren't any trays that are clean or plates to put on, and he's and he's like you have to talk to my superior, Mister Stevens, <laughs> Mister Stevens, <laughs> and then he's like getting a tray, and all the trays are wet because they're freshly washed, and he's like this tray is wet and this tray is wet and this tray is like don't you know who i am (laughs) (laughs) i'm so into it i'm absolutely into it you have to check it out because it's just the you just got these everyday people uh, doing just their normal lives just (laughs) running the canteen in the middle of the death star just deciding what meals to put on each day (laughs) yeah it's almost like a mockumentary style thing isn't it oh yeah yeah yeah. no i i I think that could work i mean i i think anything that is true to the the, the, the soul of it all is is kind of worth watching. And I guess that, that that's the thing is, I mean, there, there is limitless storytelling possibility in all of this. I guess the the thing that has changed everything is is the fact that Disney Plus is now there. And, and, and it kind of means that there is a lot of room for experimentation. And I, I think that that's hopefully going to happen. You know, hopefully they don't go too crazy. But I, I, I guess... What, what I would love to just see a little more of in the world of Star Wars is nothing to do with the films or the series. It's just a little more tolerance from the fans. Because if if one thing um, came out in the, uh, the, the most recent trilogy that I really kind of disliked were just the amounts of kind of venomous arguments. And, yeah. you know, people kind of being disqualified from being Star Wars fans because they simply liked something, you know? And it's just like... Would, would people just kind of get some perspective on all this? You know, it's yeah. like we, we all clearly care enough to argue about things lovingly. But what I don't like is the kind of the toxic fandom that just seems to have kind of taken root in, in the world of Star Wars and many other things where where there's a kind of elitism that that to me is really off putting. And, and that's not what it's about. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, Star Wars is a major production in the 70s so it's not like anyone discovered star wars when it was underground and oh now it's popular and it's been ruined it was always huge you know it was always massive yeah because it because it's for everyone and 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 that's that's what i would love to see kind of you know change a little bit because 
it it's just a bit of a turnoff. And, you know, I don't have any kids, but if, if I did, sometimes you shake your head and you wonder, God, is this a world that I want to introduce my kids into? Because yeah. Star, Star Wars should be, you know, it, it was a joy for me as a kid and it should be for, for more and more generations. It's also, it's like, it should be, you should just let people tell their story. Uh, the story that they, you've got to remember that a lot of the people, especially the people that are directing Star Wars films, they are Star Wars fans. And a lot of them all have stories of when they first saw the original trilogy or sequel trilogy or what, whichever one it was or whatever first introduced them to Star Wars. And they've and sometimes the films that they get to tell are ideas that they've had in their head since they were kids that they have formed into some form of story which they feel, why wouldn't a Star Wars fan love this? And every Star Wars fan is going to have that. And there's no way in the world you can make every time you put out a Star Wars entity, especially in a feature film form, that everyone's going to like. Because there'll be things that if people really wanted to could nitpick about the original trilogy. Like you say, how it was saved in the editing room. You know, there's so many factors and elements that come into making these films these days. There's thousands of people that work on it. And you, you can't say that these people aren't trying to make something that everyone's going to love. I mean, that's, that's the whole entire reason of being for that film. Indeed. I mean, just, just, just as long as it's not done cynically, then I, I think there is something to believe in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's just a final segment that we like to do at the end here, and it's why in the title it says a Star Wars and pop culture pod is because sometimes we're just going to talk a bit about pop culture and there's inevitably going to be some guests that come in the future who don't know as much about the Darksaber as we do. So I'd like to pull like a couple of news stories, which obviously I've sent to you beforehand, and they're not going to be like breaking news. It might be something that's been out there for weeks, but I just think it's interesting to talk about. And I thought as we were on the subject of talking about a Disney Plus series, that the fact that Disney have announced that they're going to make a live action version of the 1973 Robin Hood film straight to Disney Plus, which has kind of blown my mind maybe not all in a good way but in in a way where i'm kind of like okay like i understand jungle books happened lion kings happened but just this form of robin hood in a you know a six foot five fox in live action saving maid marion is going to be very interesting <laughs> well where do we start on that i mean especially after what just happened with cats <laughs> i'll be honest yeah it's it's interesting that you mentioned cats ben because i actually read a really interesting story about cats have you seen it by the way i haven't seen it no oh i kind of feel like it's kind of like tiger king it's just going to be like an absolute world stopping event once it kind of like reaches all the streaming services because i kind of feel like i had to watch it and i i read a really interesting story about it all which is that you know um there were a lot of problems, as we all know, with the special effects in Cats. Uh, well, one of the things that actually got revised was, there's no nice way to say this, the cat's buttholes were visible, right? <laughs> anyone in that knows has, anyone that anyone that has a cat knows that you spend a lot of time looking at the cat's butthole. You know? And so, um, uh, so they 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 were kind of digitally inserted, and then they decided to change it. And so, <laughs> imagine the incredibly well-trained fx artists basically being tasked with going through to remove the buttholes and of course the implication of it all is that there is a butthole edit of cats 
it's available somewhere, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah. Please. Clearly this thing will have to surface at some point. I it mean, was, if there's anything that's gonna start a bidding war <laughs> by yeah, streaming so, services. Anyway, just like, well, I mean, by all intents and purposes, I mean just like, you know, literally there will be a time when people kind of look back and be like, where were you the weekend that Cats came out? Because I don't know what you were doing, Ben, but I was reading reviews of Cats. Yeah. And just one was funnier than the other. It was just one of the things. And, and so I think you're right in reference to making a, a live action Robin Hood. Gosh, it's just got disaster written all over it, doesn't it? I mean, I just, there's just no need for it all, you know? I mean, it's just like make a live action Robin Hood that's decent because I think... Robin Hood gets made into a film at a rate of about five a year. Yeah. And none of them are ever good. Just make a good Robin Hood story. But why do they have to be foxes? And why do they have to mess with the original animated series, which to my mind requires no embellishment? It was already brilliant. Now, look, I mean, I kind of feel like these executives clearly don't spend enough time around kids because anyone who spent time around children will know that like, yes, okay, they want their iPads and this and that. But if you give them a um, stick and a ball, they, generally speaking, are also very entertained because kids live in the world of imagination. Yeah. They don't know the distinction between fiction and reality because their heads are like these supercharged imagination factories. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think that you, you need to remake these things to improve upon them because I, I think I loved the original. So, yeah, that's just wrong to me. I also feel with the amount of options you have, and I, I know this is a big thing for Disney at the moment, and I understand it. It makes a lot of money. I mean, they've hit the billion mark on a few of them, even with The Lion King. Like, I love John Favreau, but that near enough is a shot by shot remake of the animation. And so I get it. You know, it's a great way to give your property new life. But surely there's better choices than <laughs> turning Robin Hood into a live yeah. action. The Little Mermaid, which I think they are anyway, or Hercules or something like that, which doesn't bend people's mind in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and there's, there's so many more stories in the Disney stable that could do with getting remade or updated in more compelling ways. So why start with that one? Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I mean, if, if I had my choice, Ben, I got to ask you as well. If you were going to remake a Disney classic, what would that film be? For me, it would be Hercules. Wow. That's because cool. I just think that's well, that, that's definitely doable. And yeah. I love Greek mythology. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, actually. So yeah, I, I think yeah. you've got so much scope. You, well, not so much just so much scope, but just you've got so many good characters in Hades and Zeus and Hercules himself. And it's just I think it could be brilliant nowadays with the capabilities they have with special effects, it could be pretty awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Actually. I would, I would watch that. I think that would be beautiful. I mean, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, for, 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 for me, um, there is a, a 1954 version of 20,000 leagues under the sea and, yeah. uh, you know, with Kirk Douglas and James Mason and, um, God, I watched that film so many times as a kid and it gave me a love of the sea. It, you know, well, my dad did as well. <laughs> I mean, he was yeah. a Navy man. But yeah, uh, I would love to see that because I, I still feel like Jules Verne's stories, uh, you know, have so much to kind of tell us. And and I would just love to kind of see a really great version of that as well. You know, because I mean, I, I love League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and that kind of steampunky Victorian, you know, age kind of thing. And and that to me, I think is it's almost like a lost classic. If you'll allow me, a, a, permit me a double header, a remake of The Black Hole. 
which is basically yeah. like you know, Disney's version of Event Horizon. Um, yeah, I think could be brilliant because the original is is so disturbing. It's like I can't believe Disney made that. I can't. I I mean, I saw that a long time ago, and I can't. I, it's something that I'm going to have to revisit because I can't quite remember. Yeah. Well, uh, it, in, it, in detail. It's, it's basically a horror story set in space and it's got mm-hmm. probably a psychedelic conclusion to it all because I mean it was clearly made in the aftermath of Star Wars you know suddenly f- all the big studios rushed to make big sci-fi epics because yeah. suddenly there was an audience for it all you know and, and, and people don't talk about the relationship between Star Wars and Star Trek a very great deal but a lot of the scene setting for star wars success i think could be argued to be star trek fandom simply because the repeat that happened throughout the 70s after the series was originally canceled more or less created fan culture as we know it now and so i think that um star wars owes a lot to star trek repeats but um the uh the thing is, is once Star Wars happened, of course, I mean, you did get some absolutely groundbreaking films like, you know, Alien, which was just another thing altogether. Yeah. But um, but you also got a lot of really bad rushed out the door kinds of films as well, which are kind of like hilarious. I mean, like, I mean, I'll be honest. Look at Flash Gordon. Clearly, things were getting kind of commissioned at, a, at an extraordinary kind of rate. But what really makes you appreciate Star Wars is just to see the milieu in which it existed, because so much else got it so wrong at the time. Well, how hard it was just to recreate it. Yeah, completely. And I mean, that's, that's what you see from those polar opposites, isn't it? From Alien and Flash Gordon. Like, it just it took quite, quite an impressive team to recreate it either in a way which was similar or completely different to a successful way. Yeah, yeah. But United, uh, you know, in one thing is that they both yeah. endeavored to tell great stories. Yeah, yeah, very you much. Know, there, there's a, there is a wonderful, uh, as a very quick aside, hopefully, uh, you know, we're talking about pop culture. One of the best documentaries I've seen in a while is uh, one called Memory, which is on the making of Alien. And, uh, and it really just focused not on Ridley Scott, which is, you know, what so often happens with, aliens as it probably should but instead um it actually uh focused on a completely different area of alien which is the uh, uh the, the writer on all of it which was basically not ridley scott it was uh dan o'bannon so he got written out of the credits for dark star which is kind of like a comedy version of alien mm. you know and went off to kind of work with alejandro jodorowsky to do the adaptation of dune which never happened again incredibly retold in jodorowsky's dune which is a wonderful documentary yeah and then but then once that production fell apart he set out to make alien as a revenge film he basically remade dark star as a horror film and he took hr geeker you know who had been doing the set design for dune and basically uh showed the designs to um ridley scott who said this is it this is what it's got to look like and and memory kind of pulls it all together really beautifully and uh it was that documentary i think alone at light jodorowsky's dune that um it, it kind of tells you how much else was happening at the time. You know, there were some really talented people there, but they hadn't yet found their conduits because the studios didn't have the belief. I mean, can you imagine that now? I mean, Marvel, the MCU cannot pump films out fast enough now. No, you not know, at all. We are in such a different green, place. Green light territory now. 
Yeah, completely. I mean, just I mean, just look at what the rate with which Netflix was making Marvel spinoffs before Disney canceled it all. It's, it, it's almost like we won. Like the it is Revenge of the Nerds, but but it wasn't always like that, you know. And I think that's it's not easy for me to forget because I didn't live through that time as an adult. I have no idea. But when you look at how little was being made to that production standard, you you kind of have to admire George Lucas for getting away with it. Really, yeah. Very much so. It completely changed the curve, and now, and now we're—I mean—we're living in an extremely fortunate time, to in terms of science fiction and uh, comics being told and fantasy and everything taking the lead as some as usually the leading box office films every year, year in year out. Indeed, indeed. Well, I mean, this is it. You know, uh, I mean, it said that there are only seven stories. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But, uh, you know, I mean, just from the perspective of like, you know, big studios, you know, what I worry about is that, you know, I was talking to a filmmaker who won't thank me for naming him, who just said it's very difficult to get an independent science fiction film made because most of these big studios and Netflix and they have booked out the big things like Pinewood for, for, for the next 20 years. So it's just it's just hard to get films made now. But I think one of the sparks that is most worth paying attention to is the world of independent science fiction. Ex, Ex Machina, Annihilation, Prospect, um, Moon, probably one of the best examples. Those yep. are the ones to really pay attention to because they've almost kind of hit the reset button on science fiction and they've brought it all back to the story again, which I think is so important. I think that's something that Marvel could stand to be reminded of that I think my favorite Marvel films, like the best Star Wars films like Mandalorian, um, yep. they're all the ones that have started with the, with with a great story and then figured out how to tell it. Yeah, very much so. What's that? Um, there's that amazing... Uh, science fiction film i can't remember the name of it now amy adams and jeremy renner arrival oh yeah absolutely. oh gosh i've seen that film three or four times now uh, absolutely yeah. brilliant i'm so glad something like that could could be made and was made yeah. uh, yes very much so yeah it must be so much harder now because especially with these juggernauts like marvel and dc having 70 80 years worth of content to explore and reference at any given time it's like well, the one of the other news stories I was going to talk about, which is this story that keeps rumbling on and on and on, is that Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Snyder Cut, is still something that people are talking about, still something that people want, and it's still something that supposedly, according to some people, might be happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know. I would give I would give anything to see a great DC film. I, I don't think Joker really falls into that territory somehow. Uh, because I, I, mean, I think Joker was just just it just it floored me it it blew my mind but i um one of my other favorite films has nothing to do with dc technically i, I think it was james gunn who directed a film called brightburn which is a the dark superman film isn't it yeah basically yeah what if an alien crashes to earth with superman's powers but he's not actually a, a good guy at all um he's just a little psycho kid who discovers he has powers and begins terrorizing his parents and everyone else and that is really really cool now that's the thing that that to me is innovative storytelling and that is really really worth watching yeah. but justice league gosh i would love to see it resurrected because i mean how hard is it to take some of the best known characters ever and just tell a really good story you know i mean yeah. it's, it can't be that hard i mean geez i mean look at dark knight look at all these other kinds of you know great examples i mean i even like the watchman series and you know not everyone did but i gave it a chance like wow it's good mm. 
to me anyway. So, so why, why is it so difficult to tell these big budget things? And, and the reason why I think is because it's directed by committee. There doesn't seem to be someone like Star Wars um, has, uh, what's her name? Kathleen Turner? Kathleen, Kathleen Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. who clearly, I mean, gosh, I mean, has done some amazing things for the Star Wars films. But, I mean, she lets the directors direct. She lets these things happen. And they're not afraid to go back scrap it all and and make it again right you know and you know well, uh, perfect you know. story is well yeah solo but also rogue one rogue yeah. one had tons of reshoots yeah oh, oh, oh it did and you know and she authorized them to go back and film the greatest sequence from rogue one which mm. is like the last 90 seconds right because you never see darth vader being a really bad guy until the, that scene where he goes through the hallway yeah where he's, he's boarded the, the the rebel blockade runner and he basically kills everyone which kind of completely changes the whole your whole kind of feeling behind the beginning the first few minutes of a new hope yeah 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 because it 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 totally it it brings you right up to the beginning of a new hope you know and 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 as the story goes that i read um apparently said yeah yeah you can have that you can have that but you can't do force explosions because apparently um they were just going to have darth vader like hoisting people up and then just sort of going like you know, <laughs> and, and, and flattering them is like, you can't do that. But it is, it is like a, such a short sequence, but it is just sheer terror. It's just like, oh my God, he's going to kill everybody, yeah. which he basically does. It's like, whoa, it's the only time you really see Darth Vader being the bad guy. It's like, geez. Of course, you get a bit in the prequel, but like in there, it's like, wow, this is fully formed evil. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I mean, geez, that's so cool. I don't get the sense that Warner, DC, whoever it is, um, has that kind of vision that I, I guess the role of the producer is to line things up so that a director can direct, give them the resources they need to tell the great story, right? With DC, you get the sense that there's just this, the anonymous army of people behind Aquaban and all these other things just cheering out. So yeah, I mean, when I saw some of the stills from the Snyder Cut, you know, the uh, Batman with the goggles on and stuff, and it's just yeah. like, God, that's that's the story that I want to see so strange that it wasn't the story that we we got to see like yeah. why pull the reins especially for someone who's been able to kind of do what he wanted on the first two films leading up to it man of steel and batman versus superman and it's very weird because they're seen as these films that oh well they weren't massive commercial hits i mean they made over like 1.4 billion between them yeah and it you know it's not exactly like they're making small change so it's why kind of i obviously you know the production of justice league was shadowed by a lot of uh very unfortunate things so that you know they had to bring other people in but you kind of also feel in in, in that instance as well then I know these people have deadlines in, but surely it makes sense to a certain extent just to pause everything and do it the right way than try and hash out something that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I fully agree. I mean, look, I, I would I would kill to see that. You know, I mean, I um, I love Marvel, um, but, you know, my first comic books um, were uh, detective comics. Yeah. And as a fan of both, you know, but like a, a big DC guy, I just it just breaks my heart that they just haven't yet cracked it. I just find it hard to believe that it's that hard with the kind of budgets that they're commanding. I'm kind yeah. of very hopeful. I, I, I'm hopeful in the way maybe, you know, maybe we'll never see a Snyder cut, but I'm kind of hopeful that there's hope within those characters. Yeah. 
the new Batman film that's come in, Henry Cavill seems has vocally spoken many a time on how much he loves the character of Superman and feels that there's so much more that can be done with him. Yeah, there is. Completely right. So yeah, uh, I, I'm hopeful I, that they get I, it right. No, I, I loved I loved Wonder Woman. I thought that was great. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be done there. But you know, I think there is a parallel to be drawn. I, I saw a great short piece about how Marvel Studios became what what it is today. And it all began with Blade. Yeah. Do you know this story? You know, just like how basically they, up until the the, the, the 90s, Marvel, uh, for the benefit of anyone who who's not familiar with the story, Marvel spent all its time licensing their characters and resulting in really bad, really bad adaptations of, you know, um, Marvel characters, including the unreleased Fantastic Four film, which if you can get a copy of, which I have. I mean, it is just breathtaking, just like how shit it really is. Yeah. And so um, so a guy came in and basically said to stop licensing, start making your own stuff and owning it. And they began, I think, in a genius move, not with a really well-known character, but with an unknown character. In fact, most people didn't even realize that Blade was a Marvel character at all. No, I don't you know? think they did until many years yeah. have passed. Yeah. And so they and so that is how they built up the war chest that allowed them to launch the MCU properly. And, you know, their rollout was pretty ambitious. I mean, you know, already Iron Man feels like a lifetime ago because it kind of was. Yeah. But even then, those were the first tentative steps. But they had been building for a long time up until that moment. And I just wonder if DC went wrong by going straight for the juggler with the big characters, whether they should have just tried to just just sort of find their feet, find their fans with some of the other characters as well because that's that's what worked for marvel and dc did it in the time frame where they might have learned from how marvel did it to truly not not to compete but just to 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 take a long walk up to trying to render things like because i i enjoyed man of steel i yeah me you know, too. obviously obviously the dark knight was just something else entirely but um but yeah, I, I kind of feel like there's been so many missteps now and they, they didn't need to be missteps because they, 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 they didn't so... need to be rushed either. I mean, that's one thing that if you, if you were going to sit in a boardroom and talk about what to learn from Marvel and how we should then take our steps forward. Like you said, they didn't Marvel didn't start with their big characters. Well, one being they couldn't to a certain extent. They probably didn't have the deal in with Sony in place to use Spider-Man at that time. I think Hulk was licensed out to... Um, universal and those two characters alone were kind of two of the only major marvel characters that had seen the light of day in many incarnations before feature film and series wise and then the other ones were x-men and they were at the time obviously marvel um disney owned fox now but they didn't then so it was a very much it was a thing for them wasn't it the the their key property the worldwide property that a lot of people would know who that is they didn't kind of own so they had to focus on the iron mans and whilst iron man captain america and thor were popular comics but not popular to the general public to us to extent that batman and superman are yeah oh absolutely i mean i it's funny uh because i mean fans are impossible to please right this is the thing but yeah but Fans also vote with their money as well. You know, it's just like it's a, it's a huge consumer base that these kind of franchises are trying to speak to. So it, it's it, it's I, I just wonder if what happened with things like Justice League and others is they just they just got they just got focus group to shit. They had a lot of people just sort of second guessing, making edits. And it is kind of amazing just how much you can change a film in the edit, you know, and in post-production. 
but by that point, it's so out of the director's hands. It's just like it's also removed of any vision. And I guess that's the thing that Christopher Nolan was able to do with The Dark Knight so well was it all felt like it, although kind of by the third, it was it was not perfect. But yeah, I mean, what a, what a dark world. And, and when I look at it now, it's just like it still looks amazing. Mm, very much so. Uh, and I think that is a good time for us to end it there. Alex, thank you so much, firstly, for doing this. This has been what an brilliant. absolute pleasure. No, look, I mean, this this is an absolute joy. I mean, this is stuff that I love. So yeah, I think this is very much going to be, uh, as people will know when they actually hear this, this is going to be a two-parter. It's gone okay. that long. <laughs> totally <laughs> up for it, man. Yeah, I think that's fair for the people listening that it's split into two parts. What do you mean? We we have another hour at least to to, to go into this, but uh, yeah, exactly. and that, that's part three that people have to wait for, like they do for the yeah. Star Wars movies, right. to see what happens. Well, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you. Um, these are some of my most beloved parts of my life here, you know. So um, I couldn't be more delighted to have been asked on. So thanks very much, and, and best of luck with the podcast. <laughs> Hi guys, and thanks for listening to another episode of Jedi Order. Please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe, and may the Force be with you.